Well, we are beginning a new sermon series on real questions. And I invited our community here and our community online to submit questions of faith. Any question. Uh, Just left it open, left it out there. And we had a lot of very interesting questions that we're going to wrestle with today and throughout this series. Now, I'm just going to have to be blunt with you and just say, here's the question that has been asked, because I think you need to feel the the emotion behind it, I think while looking at the world, their question was, what the hell is going on? And am I allowed to ask that? I think like there's like the rational, like I can calculate all of the problems, all of the pain, all of the trauma, and I could make a cold calculated question, but there's something very honest and very real with this person who said both both sides of that question. It seems hellish out there. What is going on? And am I even allowed to ask this kind of question? Am I even able to discuss this? Am I able to have a discussion around this? And I think it's really important for us that if you only answer safe questions, you're not actually safe for questions. So if we wanna be a people, a church, a community who is available, and who is able to respond to real challenges, we have to be a safe place for any question to come and say, here's what's on my heart, here's what's on my spirit, what do I do with this? And if we only answer safe questions, we only kind of deal with one part of our lives, one little small bubble, and when you experience things beyond that, suddenly you have no idea how your faith reacts and relates to this new moment. And so that question, sits with us today, and I I thought reading Psalm 13 during our prayer time was appropriate of, we have psalmist, we have the writer of Ecclesiastes, we've got the book of Job, we've got plenty of authors in the Bible who were not shy about asking real questions to God, saying, what is going on here? You know, that's, that's the whole book of Job is that dilemma and that struggle. And so I think that that question Uh, is worth sitting with. We had so many varieties of that question, of things like how how do we have a world where where kids die? How do I I deal with the trauma and the pain? Uh, Does God have a plan, and if so, what on earth is it? Because I can't see it always looking out at the world around me. And so there's a realness to this question of what's going on and what looks like a hellish landscape at times. And I think sometimes we could talk about that question and it wouldn't, maybe we all couldn't collectively feel it. Um, You might have personally lost someone in your life recently that that makes you come to the table where you understand those questions of pain much more strongly. But as a community, like we have dealt with the last year where we've had, you know, 600,000 deaths to a new disease. We've had so much pain on a global scale And so we ask that question uh, with new eyes, perhaps in this season, of what's going on, God? And I think that um, it's not just global scales. You personally have experienced pain, I'm sure, in your life, and you've wondered, God, what's going on? And it's not just human stuff. It gets into the small, like the natural world. Uh, I enjoyed my mom posted on Facebook a few weeks back. They've got a little... A tomato plant garden in their backyard, and uh, there's a caterpillar, which is not really your friend, uh, trying to go at those tomatoes. And the caterpillar, though, had a bunch of weird stuff coming out of it. 
And so she wanted to research it. And there's a, a type of wasp that feels like a horror movie. And I'm going to read the description from a, a science magazine. A uh, few, uh, few parasitoids are more bizarre or disturbing than the wasps of this genus, whose females inject their eggs into living caterpillars. And once inside, the larvae mature, feeding on the caterpillar's body fluids before gnawing through its skin and mass and emerging into light of day. And despite the trauma, not only does the caterpillar survive, initially at least, but the larvae proceed to mind control it, turning their host into a bodyguard that protects them as they spin their cocoons and finish maturing. And then finally, the caterpillar starves to death, but only after the tiny wasps emerge from their cocoons and fly away. That sounds like an awful horror story, and it's probably the movie Alien or Aliens, you know, of like this, this body horror fear. Uh, and it's like, man, even in the natural world, even in the small places, there's just a lot of pain. And so you might just wonder, God, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much trauma and, and ugly things and violence? And, and what is going on? And, and I think that's a very valid question, and it's a question humans have always asked, because we are not alone in wondering about these things. Now, there's a thing when you talk about theology and philosophy where they talk about the problem of evil. Uh, it is a problem only more for certain theological systems like ours, where you have a one all-powerful good God. The problem of evil was not so problematic in some pagan religions. Why is there bad things? Well, sometimes the gods are just have ill tempers. <laughs> they just go, they, they decide to do harmful things. They're mad at each other. Maybe you got on the wrong side of the gods, and therefore the gods are reacting harshly to you. And so the world of, of bad things was, well, of course there's bad things. Uh, that's just how the world works. That's how the gods work. But for the kind of Abrahamic face uh, that emerged in that ancient world, what is it to say God is good, God is powerful, God knows all things, and yet this evil t is just so gratuitous. It's like, why is there so much? Like, okay, I can handle a little bit of pain, but why this much pain? And so there's a, a popular TV show that has recently came out, and I won't give names or for spoiler sakes, but uh, the show imagined what if the main characters could show up to this, this supreme person who could control the timeline of all possible worlds. And you're sitting at the edge of time, and you can see all time streams, and you're in control. The show posits that you must be a villain to have that kind of control and to have a timeline filled with so much pain because we struggle to imagine how on earth could a good person be in control when all of this pain is around us. And so that's the world we step into. And so why, like how do we even start wrestling with this question? We're, we're not gonna solve and, and kind of fix the thousands of years of humans struggling with this kind of question. But there's some tension valves that people release to try to alleviate, how do I make sense of this? One of those is to say, well, maybe God doesn't quite know everything. Uh, and perhaps you can imagine Elijah and the prophets of Baal when he's, he's doing a contest with these, uh, these other prophets and say, we're going to bring fire down. You ask your God, I'll ask my God. And when the prophets of Baal can't bring any fire down, he starts teasing them. And he says, well, maybe your God's gone on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. You know, maybe he doesn't really know. He doesn't hear you. Uh, maybe that's why it's not working for you. 
but we don't tend to take that answer too seriously into our own tradition. Um, perhaps a, a variation of this answer happens when people say, well, maybe God didn't know for certain humans would mess things up so bad or something like that. Um, but we usually tend to say God knows all things and we, we don't tend to use that pressure relief valve. The two ones we tend to use is some people use the tension relief valve of maybe we need to redefine good. And so you start seeing that everything that happens, if God does it, it must be good. And so our own kind of internal measurement tools of is this good or evil uh, just have to be overlooked and redefined by whatever you see in the world and how God behaves and just call those things good. Um, you see this into the caricatures. Like when you go, not just Calvinism, but when you go into like hyper-Calvinism of complete predestination, not just for uh, eternal blessings, but also for eternal damnation, they start, you start seeing that God just made some people for judgment. And is that good or not? Well, God did it, therefore it's good. And so it just, we'll, we'll have to redefine what it means to be good. Some people will, will take that release valve. Maybe that's something that, that speaks to you. Um, but the release valve I tend to take uh, is the one about limitation of power. Of, you could say God has a limit on power, either because God can't do otherwise or because God chooses to limit power. And so usually it's some sort of um, an, an enabling us to have some agency and enabling us to have some choice, to have some freedom that we don't, um, that God has given up some power and that is part of why we see so much evil or destruction or chaos. Um, but it still will leave us uncomfortable because you still might wonder, but why give that power up if it results in such pain and such, such darkness? Um, but that's one of the release valves people might take. I wanna just offer a parable of sorts, uh, an image that maybe you might just sit through and wrestle with as you think through this. Uh, and before we get into, well, what on earth do we do with this and live with this? Imagine that the kingdom of heaven is like a parent building, building with Legos with their kids. You've got this parent who says, I wanna build this great city. And they've got their Lego containers, they've got their space ready for it. And their architects in their mind, they're imagining, what am I gonna do to, to make this great city? What kind of towers? Am I gonna have walls? Am I gonna put people in it? Like, what's this city gonna look like? That parent could probably make the best version of cities that they could make on their own. <laughs> like, of, like, I'm not gonna take other kids' input, I'm not gonna have to deal with it, I'm just gonna build it on my own late at night, let the kids show up the next morning, and, and let them just see the Legos. But if you actually invite kids to the table and give up some of that kind of control, and they, they pour the Legos out, and maybe the kids are fighting over which pieces they get versus the others, and which color pieces they get, and maybe you started to build a tower that you liked, and then there was some architecture to it, and the kid's like, I like that piece, and they take it and yank it right off of your structure and put it onto something they're building. And maybe they're building something like, that's definitely not up to code. That's gonna fall over really fast. And you know it's gonna happen, but you're letting them build. It's gonna collapse. And it collapses, and there's sadness, and, and there's this, this, this struggle. And the worst case, someone knocks one of those Lego pieces off, and at night that night, you stepped on it, and all the pain from that moment. Uh, but this building project isn't just about the finished thing. The parent can trust 
if I really want to bring about a cool city, it's gonna happen. But I care about this experience of bringing the kids along and their enjoyment and their learning and their creativity, and it's worth the pain and the frustrations and the anger to get to that spot. Um, all metaphors fall apart, so that's not a perfect metaphor. But maybe you might think, well, what metaphors fit with me? Maybe you want to wrestle with that of, how do I just sit with what's going on around me and how do I understand God in the midst of that? I do think there is definitely a limitation of power when we look at ourselves. So we don't have the ability to go back in time and to say, I would have done a world differently or I would have, how would I shape that or change that? We have the world of today. So we have a part to play in what's going on. And so I want to read from us from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's from Jesus' great sermon that is called the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a mountaintop and there's these crowds and his disciples there. And he gives these great ethical teachings of like how to live differently in the world. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 5 verse 43 uh, through 47. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This teaching, um, and we'll get to this, the framework of it, but you might sit there and you might have heard a verse from that that gets quoted quite a bit of about the sun rising on the good and the bad and, and the rain coming on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that kind of throwaway line that maybe it doesn't feel like it's that essential because it's like, wait, how did that relate to what was around it? That's actually quite a startling statement to say about who God is. In the ancient world, it was just, for most people, it was very clear cut. You do good, God rewards you. You do bad, God punishes you. And that seems a little uh, outlandish or uh, how dare you for God just to bring blessings on anybody and everybody. You do good, you do bad, sun comes up. You do good, you do bad, rain comes. And that might frustrate you because you might be the righteous person who says, I lived faithfully. Why am I going through all of these struggles? And look at this person, uh, the, the, the person on the news who's the easy villain, uh, who, who you just can't help but, but feel this anger towards. Why are they getting such rewards? Why are they getting away with things? Why, why is my life so much harder, seemingly, than theirs? And Jesus is saying this line, you know, for God, the sun rises on, on the good and the bad. The rain comes for the righteous and the unrighteous. And that might feel unfair. That's one reading of that. How dare God? Why is this world the way it is? Why is God so lenient? Why does God allow things to stay as they are? That feels unfair. But there's another angle to that reading that fits into this context of this is actually how God transforms the world. It's easy if I just give a nice reward for good things and just punish only the bad things, uh, I can enforce for someone, you're a good person, you're the bad person, and I'm just gonna stick to those categories. 
and I'm gonna stay in conflict, I'm gonna stay in, in problems and in frustrations. But the, the way of love invites you into a new possibility where, where things can change, where people can switch from being the outsider to being a part of your community. And so in this text, uh, Jesus addresses, you, you can't just love when it's easy. And if God only loved when it's easy, some of you would just be out of here. Right, like if it's just, oh, I had a bad day, now I'm out of here. Uh, but God gives this abounding love in such an overflowing way that even those who are wicked, even those who are unrighteous, get God's blessings and love. And so love even when it's not easy. And so Jesus quotes the saying, which you're gonna have a hard time finding in the Bible. Uh, he says, you've heard it said, love uh, your neighbor and hate your enemy. You can find the love your neighbor part easily in Leviticus, but the hate your enemy is a little bit obscure. We're not quite sure if it's just like a, a phrasing that was common in his day that people are interpreting that passage with this new way of saying it. But we do have one little moment where we get a glimpse of maybe this is the kind of thinking at work at that time. Uh, at, at the time of Jesus, there was a community in Qumran, and they weren't just in Qumran. Uh, but the Essenes were this group that, that kind of spread themselves out away from society. They, they kept into an inner crowd. Uh, they were very strict about how to live kind of the righteous life. Uh, and they thought God kind of ordained all things. And so you were either on the good side or the bad side, and there wasn't much chance to change. And so I've got a quote from uh, their community roll scroll. Uh, and it's from uh, the community scroll, the very beginning of that scroll. Uh, their, their text says, uh, God commanded by the hand of Moses and all of his servants and the prophets that they may love all that he has chosen and hate all that he has rejected. And so he, God, shall admit into the covenant of grace all those who freely devoted themselves to the observance of God's teachings that they may be joined to the counsel and wisdom of God and may live perfectly before him in accordance with all that has been revealed concerning their appointed times and that community, that they may love all the sons of light, each according to his lot in God's design, and hate all the sons of darkness, each according to his guilt and God's vengeance. And so there's a whole community built around, you love the good that God obviously has designed, you hate the wicked, uh, which are just living out judgment. And Jesus speaks into that time and into that community that's not how it works. Love your enemies. And it's one of those texts that just those three words, you can live a lifetime struggling through, Lord, help me love my enemies. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. And that's part of the point of the passage. People don't just do this naturally. One person um, phrased, how do I describe what sin is? As uh, sin is any time that we fall short of love. Sin is any time we fall short of loving God, any time we fall short of loving ourselves, of loving our neighbors, of loving our enemies. And so we are invited to, to how do I love correctly and, and relationally and, and build community even outside of the boundaries that I assume and I expect. And so in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the pain, how on earth do I love the people that, that cause pain? in the world. Like that's, that's hard work. Uh, I'm, I'm always amazed when I, um, we have a friend in Milwaukee who 
uh, part of his story was uh, he was a, a sexually abused and now he's a therapist for sexual abusers. And that's not easy um, to, to work with people to transform their lives uh, so that they can have a future that, that doesn't result in more pain and more cycles of violence and trauma. Like, what is it to be called so fully into God's work that it's not just focused on the fact that there's anger and violence and bad things, but like, I want to love the people in the midst of that into a new opportunity and into new life. And so what I want to kind of invite us into today of when you see the chaos, when you see the pain, when you're wondering why is it like this, to just work on love, just work on loving God. I think there's a realness in that question of, God, what's going on? It can be hard to love God when you're in the midst of all this pain. And so what is it to, to show up to God? Um, and perhaps what is it to see God alongside of you in that pain? Because I think that's what we see in Jesus is, is a God who identifies in the midst of pain, not the one who's outside and observant and isn't attached to us, but the one who intimately is so connected to us that, that would go through pain for us. And so what is it to, to see God in the midst of pain with you uh, and also to see that wherever there's glimmers of life and hope and blessing, finding gratitude for God and thanking God for those good moments. Uh, it's easy to fall into the temptation of just being so cynical we only see the bad stuff. Uh, but what is it to be reminded of where there is life springing forth where it doesn't seem possible? So perhaps today might be a day where you choose, uh, no matter what has been happening in my life, no matter what, uh, what pain is in my life, can I choose to love God today, the God who always loves us? And so if we can love God, maybe what, how do I love myself? How do I love those around me? And so today is a, a day to be reminded and to think about how do I go through uh, my week and pray maybe about how to love people a little bit better, love myself a little bit better, and think through who do I need to love uh, that, I'm not, that I'm falling short of. And so prayer time this week, maybe consider who do I need to work on, on loving. And the reminder that that love isn't just about the feelings isn't just that I feel you know, this emotional positivity towards someone, but that I actually live into this world differently, that I, I bring love into action, I bring love into service, that love is, is being patient with someone, that love is, is caring and is bringing about life uh, where there's darkness. And so how might we not just think differently about ourselves or each other, but bring love to whatever situation that you're in? Uh, and so... You, you can be in this wrestling uh, with this question and the problem of evil, uh, that's perfectly fine. We have biblical books devoted to wrestling with these kinds of questions. But what you are asked to do is to find ways to love in the midst of that. And so that's where our hope is, is in a God who loves us even, in, even when we run away, even when we push, even when we are, are acting as enemies. And so may you just find comfort and resting in God's love and find that energizing so that you might bring that love to those who need it in your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you 
uh, asking that your wisdom might, might rule in our lives, that we might be able to, uh, to love like you love. For anyone who's worshiping with us who struggles uh, to identify as loved, Lord, I just ask that you might bring the comfort and the love and the warmth of your presence and the presence of those in their lives uh, to uplift them so that they might know who you, who you are and who they are. Lord, I ask that you might give us eyes to see where there is life, where there's hope, where there's opportunity that comes uh, so that we might celebrate those glimmers of hope of a new age and a new world emerging in our midst. Lord, I just ask also that for those who feel the pain that, and the, the brokenness and the loss, that they, might not, that they might know that they're not alone and that they might know that they have a community around them um, and to reach out. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.